Nuclear proliferation. Global pandemic. Famine. Environmental genocide. War. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham, and L. Bradley Sheaf. Well, there it is, Brad Legs by ZZ Top, one of the great songs of the 80s. Uh, I'll tell you what, the video is is etched in my memory. It, it, uh, it had a lot of uh, high-quality uh, imagery. Uh, indeed, and as did all of the ZZ Top videos, particularly from that era, that uh, little old band from Texas, and uh, my friend Dusty Hill, rest in peace. Um, that that was a fantastic band, and he is going to be missed for sure. Sorely missed. One of the great uh, one of the great characters of the 1980s, and he kept that beard clean as a whistle. He did. You know, there was a back in, I think it was in the 80s, but it could have been in the 90s. The Gillette offered those guys a million bucks a piece to shave their beards, like in a commercial using a Gillette razor. And they both said, no, they said yeah. we're too ugly if we don't have the beards. So, yeah, no, well, that's uh, that is what it is. But I guess uh, he'll, he'll be uh, sorely, sorely missed, but he will always be um, in uh, video and some of the sharp dressed man legs. And Sharp Dressed Man, oh, some of the great yeah. songs of all time. Yeah, indeed. Seems well, everyone, like welcome. Welcome to IP Frequently, where we examine 80s music, technology, business, politics, sports. We consider ourselves a couple of sportsmen. Um, and everything in between. Uh, the, one of the top business podcasts in the globe. Number one in Sweden. Top five in the U.S. Uh, number four in the uh, former Soviet bloc but Brad, as we venture into the COVID portion of the show that I think you like to call the COVID cubby or the COVID corner, a lot of people are asking me this week, now that the CDC has once again reversed course and is now recommending indoor mask use for those vaccinated, unvaccinated, and otherwise, um, a lot of people are telling me how they can possibly, uh, as, a, as a small business owner, rely on the government anymore when it comes to this type of uh, Advice. It seems that uh, every month we're changing course. First, it's you need a mask. First, you don't need a mask, then you need a mask. Then uh, you should uh, be socially distant. No, you can go on a cruise. Then it's you can take the mask off and you can dine indoors. And you can't dine indoors. You've got to dine outdoors. And now you can dine indoors again, but you have to have a mask. Then it should be uh, that everyone gets vaccinated and you don't have to wear a mask. And now it's hey, wait a minute, put that mask back on. So I think a lot of people are confused and um, are starting to wonder if the government knows what it's doing. 
Well, I, I think at this point, if you're just starting to wonder if the government knows what it's doing, then that could be part of your problem. Like if you have been trying to follow government mandates and instructions for the last, oh, let's say 18 months, and you haven't yet realized that no one in the government knows what they're doing, that everything is about, you know, who can make out on it, right? It's all about personal interest. It's all about turning everything into politics. Then you are already, my friend, far, far behind. And so, I guess at this point, you know, welcome to the rest of us who have realized that the government is completely incompetent, that there are no adults to be found anywhere in Washington, D.C. And yeah, I mean, you certainly you're going to have to make some command decisions sort of outside of the government's guidance and try to figure out what is best for your business, what is best for your employees, you know, how you can, you know, reach some compromise solution that that takes into account the folks at your business who may be concerned about the coronavirus all the way over to the other end of the spectrum of folks who just couldn't care less and have had it. None of this should come as a surprise. It's just incredibly disappointing uh, that we have such jackholes running the show all the way from Fauci to the White House to Congress to the CDC, which can't even cite its own statistics correctly. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're on our own out here. And quite frankly, I'm fine with that. I, I think we are. On our, it's, it's like that Kevin Costner movie, The Postman or The Mailman, The Postman. Either one. There's I mean, no good. It's just anarchy. I mean, you may yeah. be better off, right? Because uh, that, so now the government's saying that people, if I get this right, that uh, their guidance is updated. And if you are, even if you're vaccinated, you need to wear the masks indoors. And kids need to wear the masks in schools. You know what's amazing about that, buddy? So I looked on the CDC website and you know what, I, I, you know, you and I both, neither one of us make claims to be geniuses or rocket scientists or anything of the like, but I, 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 I do think I may, you know, have reasonable reading comprehension skills. Although I will tell you the CDC makes it nearly impossible to you know, follow their statistics, which is maybe why they can't cite them either. But near as I can tell, about somewhere between 200 and 250 children a year over the last two years have died with some sort of COVID-related issue as uh, being associated with that death. Yeah. It appears that very few, and I think um, there, was a, there was an article out of Johns Hopkins it said basically no children that didn't have some sort of comorbidity, right? Who didn't already have some health deficit died with COVID. But let's just take that number. Let's just say it's somewhere between 200, 250. And even though we know that the vast majority, perhaps none of those kids, you know, actually died from COVID. They, they got COVID that in an already damaged immune system already compromised to health situation and, and wound up succumbing to that. But let's just take that number because, I mean, no one wants to hear about 250 kids dying in, in a given year from any disease. Let's, let's jump over to malaria for just a second, right? In 2019, which is the last year for which I could find statistics, 409,000 children, most of which under the age of five, died of malaria, Okay. So we are losing our minds and forcing kids to wear masks and, and 
the amount of data that's coming out about how bad that is for children to be in an environment where you can't see people's faces, you can't interact, you're breathing cotton or paper or whatever fibers for 10 hours a day while you're trying to learn. I mean, all of that data is coming out. We're, for 250 kids, the vast majority of whom had some sort of comorbidity issue. Meanwhile, we seem to not care at all about the 409,000 kids that died of malaria. Now, I know you can prevent malaria because I, for almost 25 years of my life, was often deployed in malaria areas, and I was always given some medication as a prophylactic to prevent myself from getting malaria. So someone explain to me how that works. Well, I, I think the I think the thing is they, they can't. I mean, if you look at the number of flu deaths, I think that director of the CDC was saying yesterday that the COVID risk is higher than the flu for kids, and that's to justify the mask mandate. But there are more flu deaths than COVID deaths over the past, each of the past two years. And the among COVID children. deaths. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Among, among children. Among, Those are CDC yeah, 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 yeah. statistics. Yeah. 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 It's, it's about half. It's like 438 with the, um, with the flu last year and with, with COVID. And, you know, as you said, there are a lot of different ways they, they, sort of jig those statistics to meet their needs. It's, it's a couple hundred. Right. I mean, their own statistics will show you that there were more flu deaths among children in the last two years than there have been COVID deaths, right? Regardless of how you count the COVID deaths. And, and everyone agrees that flu deaths are undercounted, right? Because flu is not a reportable. There, there are certain diseases that if they cause death, doctors must report that to the CDC, have to run it to ground and report it. Things like yellow fever, the plague, rabies, et cetera. Clap, the clap. Right? The clap and uh, you know the gift that keeps on giving, et cetera. Those have to be reported, right? Flu does not. Yeah. Right? So the only time that flu gets reported as a death is if for some reason the doctor already knows that the cause of death is flu or in a child, sometimes they pursue that, right? Because it, you, you oftentimes want to know why a child died as opposed to someone who's in their 80s or 90s. And you know we would say it was just their time. COVID, you have to report. And then you get on top of this more policies, right? They just keep on throwing more on top of the pile. So now uh, the president has come out and said that all federal workers, right, including contractors, need to be vaccinated or <laughs> they'll be subjected to almost daily COVID testing, right? So yeah. basically a mandate that, uh, that uh, federal workers must be vaccinated. Then he comes out with this whole um, scheme where the government is now going to pay each person who hasn't been vaccinated 100 smackers. That's U.S. dollars, my friend, to get vaccinated. Now, you and I don't get that money, right, because we've already uh, taken the leap. But right. uh, from here on out, anyone that gets vaccinated, you're going to get a crisp, clean $100 bill. It's, it's just it's absurd. That's not even good parenting, right? Like all of us sort of cringe when you see the, you know, the mom in the grocery store and the kids, you know, for whatever reason, acting up and the mom bribes the child, right? So, hey, if you calm down, I will, you know, do whatever, right? Get you this snack, whatever the case may be, right? Because you just know that those chickens are going to come home to roost down the line, right? What you have taught the kid is I can act up all I want. And not only am I not going to get in trouble, I'm actually going to be rewarded for misbehaving, right? I mean, that's what you've taught the child. That's why all of us cringe when we see it happen. And 
effectively, that is what the president of the United States is doing. In his opinion, people are acting up by not getting vaccinated. I mean, last time I checked, this was America. You didn't have to get vaccinated if you didn't want to. Uh, but he's acting like that's misbehavior. And he's going to bribe people into you know, sort of doing what he wants. And now, my friend, you've set that standard. And that's going to happen time and time and time again. I mean, just again, where are the adults? Like, where are the people who have read a book? Where are these? Why are they not somehow being elected to office? Because they're not running. Well, you know what? Bing, there you go. Yeah. Once so, again. Yeah. so anyway, hundred bucks. If you get the, I mean, can you and I go back again and get the a booster shot and get the hundred dollars? Will that? Well, I tell you what, I, if they come out and they very, they, they absolutely will, right? I mean, this is the way viruses are. When they come out and say, "Hey, you're going to have to get a booster," I am holding out for my hundred bucks, and in fact, I'm going to take it up a notch because look, I already got the vaccine. This is a booster, so somebody ought to be boosting my bribe. It's right? like a doubler. Yeah, like a doubler at least. I'm, at uh, least I'm going to be looking for two two fifty out of this thing. Yeah, and then you go over to the land of the rising sun. Can, can I say that? I can say that. Yeah, yeah you can. Yes. Yeah, and they're in the middle of the most exciting Olympic games. I think you and I agree, Brad. The most exciting Olympic games in at least a century, maybe more. 2016 for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and now the numbers in Tokyo are spiking. In fact, the number of new cases in Tokyo higher than ever. They're running out of hospital beds. All this stuff. And so now it looks like the Olympic bubble, right, is bursting. And uh, it could be that this COVID thing engulfs the games to the point where people are going to be not going to be able to compete. I just saw that the uh, world champion pole vaulter had to remove himself, person, himself from the games because of COVID. I mean, I will say, have you watched any of the games? I have watched a little bit. I've watched some swimming I watched some both indoor and outdoor volleyball because, as you know, we're, we're a big volleyball house here. Yeah. And uh, a little bit of the basketball. I watched our basketball team get beat by France. That's great. Which was just humiliating. But not a, you know not a lot. I, I certainly haven't spent you know time out of every day. No. I, I I've watched um, a little bit of the dirt bike thing or the oh, mountain was biking. That? Um, so the guy who was supposed to win, it's a rock, right? And then he, he lands in this pile of shame. And at first I'm wondering if he's still alive and then he's fine, but he gets up and he picks up his wheel and he just, and he has like three pieces of the bike and he just has to trot off the course. And it's, and, and they were, they were really sad for him because he trained for years yeah. for this day. And he can't even, unless he's going to run through the course, he's done. And yeah. the other bikes are just whipping by him and almost hitting him. And, it, and he's yeah. doing the ultimate walk of shame. Um, but the good news is he didn't have COVID, right? At least we don't know. He'll have to be tested six more times on his way out of the country um, right. with the bike in a thousand pieces. But I saw that, and then I saw the end of the woman's um, decathlon, I think. And in that case, you, you, they were running the, the the marathon or whatever they run at the end of that thing. And uh, um, there were, like, you'd see three or four people waving to them. Mm. But the stands were empty. There was no one lining the route. Well, it's I mean, like, I am glad. I mean, I guess if you have to choose between the two, I'm, I'm glad they actually are being allowed to compete and have the Olympics as opposed to just canceling it outright. Yeah. I mean, those athletes do train, you, you know, for years. But it is also just stupid. I mean, yeah. I, I, you and I are not going to live long enough to read the history books that will be written about, you know, the global response to this virus. But I, I wish we were. I wish we were. But hey, look, you and I are looking at at least a hundred bucks uh, from this, so that's uh, for the booster. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a, the booster or the doubler.
double booster. Um, next, we have an exciting new segment. Exciting new segment that we've been working on here for many months. And this is a way to get the audience involved. We've actually been out on the Twitter um, talking to folks and trying to get people uh, energized. And we said to them, what would make you excited, right? And first they said talk, more talk about the um, uh, horses of the presidents of the United States and more talk about launching these exciting missions to Venus and building, building colonies on that planet. Um, but uh, one of the themes that kept coming back uh, over and over again because of our background is uh, a way to help people who want to be inventors. Mm. And, um, you know, it's what we do every day. I mean, it's what we live and breathe. You and I are talking to inventors in the morning, uh, in the afternoon, in the evening, sometimes on the weekends. Occasionally um, at dusk. Dusk. Yep. Dawn, dusk. Yes. Uh, on horseback, not on horseback, trail biking. Uh, but people said, look, uh, when they when they responded to the tweets, the InstaFace posts, everything, um, you guys evaluate IP. So maybe you can pick out, um, we'll all submit some invention ideas and you and Brad and Jared can cast the tie-breaking vote, can uh, pick the uh, user, uh, uh, inventor, invention guide story of the week, right? That'll lead to potentially a patent, potentially some licensing opportunities. And so we did that, right? We, we listed this all on the Twitter and we received over 10,000 submissions of ideas mm-hmm. where uh, our, our, our audience has uh, said, look, can, can you guys tell us if this is a good idea or a bad idea? If it's a good idea, can you help us? And of course we would. And so the team here went through a, a detailed filtering uh, process where we reviewed all of the submissions, every one. And uh, for those of you playing the home game, our first step, Brad, as you know, was to eliminate all of the submissions that were not written in English. So yeah, that took cause, out because uh, well we don't read anything but English. So it's correct. It's, it's, correct. It's not, we don't have anything against them. We just can't read them. Can't read it. So we took yeah. out about more than 9,500 of the submissions shh, gone. Right. We ended up with a couple of hundred off the top. Uh, we then took out the ones that had no words and just pictures. And then we were left with about 15 out of this pool of applicants. Uh, we selected today's winner. Yes, we did. Yeah. And uh, Brad, it was Norman in Atlantic City, who you recall from some oh, yeah. of your uh, relationship mm-hmm. advice days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norman submitted the Fife. Ah, now is this the Fife as in Fife and Drum? Well, the Fife and Drum, that's a good guess. That's a great restaurant. But this is a combination of a fork and a knife in one utensil. It's a Fife. Uh, ah. The problem Norman says he wants to solve is the need to have, you know, Right now we have two utensils. One is a fork, one is a razor sharp knife, as Correct. opposed to one utensil, right? Where you have the fork and the uh, sides of a razor sharp edge so you can cut with the fork and then put it in your mouth and feed yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. He describes the invention exactly as that, a fork with a razor sharp edge, a uh, fife. Um, I, I tell you what, I don't see any downside here, Brad. What do you, what do you think? Well, I, you know what? It's a, it's a great invention. It does kill two birds with one stone. I foresee there being a significant uptick in the number of kids going out for Halloween as the Joker uh, due to the, you know, razor sharp knife sliding into the old mouth. Uh, yeah. But other than that, and, and again, I mean, even that is sort of a silver lining, right? I mean, kids right up until the very end are debating, should I go as a ghost? Should I go as a vampire? You cut yourself wide open. You just go as the Joker. So Yeah. And it makes it easier when they have their wisdom teeth out too, I would think. 
Well, you get those. I mean, if their wisdom teeth have not yet been taken out, the fife could easily resolve that problem. Yeah, and you don't have the clang of, you know, you know when you and I go on the road with certain of our um, colleagues and they pile up a big plate of beef stroganoff or whatever, and they have the need to say the clanging of so clanging, clanging, the constant yeah. rattling of so. This you won't have that. You'll probably have like a little, you know, whoosh, put it in, you'll maybe hear a little moan or hmm, something like yeah. that. But yeah, uh, exactly. I, I think it's a winner. I think it's an idea you and I may want to get behind. We have not done any type of prior art search on this, Norman. Um, but I could see this being rolled out in some of our finest uh, steakhouses. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and you know, other houses as well. I mean, you could and, use it for a chicken, perhaps. And you could, you could also see like a spife. You could. Yeah, you could definitely go the spife. They call that a shiv in prison. Uh, so you would want to be careful about the naming convention. Um, There's also some prior art there, Brad, would you say? Yeah, there's probably some prior art there. Now you could sharpen up a spork and you could theoretically get yourself all three in one. Uh, But again, I think your problem there is the fife is probably going to at least obviate, if not anticipate the spife. Now I'm confused. But look, I think either way, even though I am, um, that's that's fine. That's Mm -hmm. fine. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, So Norman, we will... Yeah, we'll yeah. be in touch with you. We'll get this on file. Um, be careful with um, the prototypes because they um, seem quite dangerous yet useful. Yeah, and that's what you're looking for, right? I mean, uh, you're basically looking for utility and novelty. Yeah, not in that order either. Not in that well, order. not necessarily, certainly, no. Uh, next, Brad, uh, Newsreel, where we go over the important issues of the day. Um, and, and a nice little transition from the Fife to Philly cheesesteak. You know, they have Pat and Gino's uh, cheesesteak stands. They're iconic in Philadelphia. Have you been to either of those? Uh, no, I, I have been to Philly a couple times. I've, you know, unfortunately never actually gotten a cheesesteak there. Would you move to Philadelphia if you had the chance? No, I wouldn't. No. Why not? Uh, you know, I, Philly, well, what's the best way to say this? Philly may be on the backside of its best years. Which were when? Uh, sometime in the 18th century is my understanding. Yeah. Well, in any event, you have these two places, Pat's Steakhouse and Gino's, and they're on the kitty corner of each other in this residential neighborhood of old Philadelphia. And you go up and you get yourself a, a cheesesteak and you... You know, uh, I, I guess you eat it. It's um, basically shaved ribeye that's done on a grill. It's, it's actually they're very tasty, but they're they're very very greasy, right? Very greasy. You make a good cheesesteak, my friend. I mean, I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I yeah. do. I don't have a griddle, but I not like this. But uh, right. in, in any event, in any event, we digress. Um, so I guess they've had a few incidents uh, there. They've they've had people um, in fist fights over the past couple of weeks because these places are literally kitty corner across from each other. And um, there have been fights. And then we had an incident a couple of weeks ago where a Yankee fan was in line to get a cheesesteak at Pat's. And one of the um, uh, guys over at Geno's, who's a Phillies fan, came over and shot him in the back, killed him. And um, uh, I guess the whole thing turned on the, the, the guy didn't like the Yankees. And also the Yankee fan, who's deceased now, um, took the Phillies fan parking spot. Right. So, ah, um, yeah. it, do it's, 
it's just a full on um, full on brawl. And there've been a number of shootings. And uh, I can't help but think, though, Brad, that if they had a fife, right, and you didn't have to struggle with key utensils, you could just you could eat the steak at that point with one hand, right? You don't have to put it mm-hmm. down. And just move on, get in your car. You're putting this in your mouth with this razor sharp utensil and you're feeding yourself with it but you're not uh you know you're not having to sit down and, and, and cut it or do you think that could uh help uh, alleviate the violence and if so do you think that's something that could potentially get this uh uh fife um fast track through the patent office well I, I certainly think you can point to that you can point the examiner to you know just the even for philly unusual level of violence right and you know, I mean, there are few places where you can get killed over a cheesesteak in a parking spot, but Philly's one of them, right? And so if that's what you're looking for, you can head for Philly. And I do think that anything that might mitigate that, you know, sort of absurd level of violence would be a good thing. And if it's the five, fine. I mean, I would say get that and get it, get a declaration in front of the examiner that points to this issue and that you could solve it. And, you know, anything that allows you to enjoy your cheesesteak like a gentleman, you know, without without violence, without um, to do, I think is, you know, is is good. And, you know, we here at IP frequently are 100 percent behind it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. From uh, there, we go to um, what we like to call the woke report, where um, we'll transition from a hearty steak to a little bit of ice cream. Have you heard about this whole Ben and Jerry's thing with Israel? Well, yeah. I mean, if I if I have this right, I did I did hear about it. So apparently, Ben and Jerry's is no owned by Unilever, by the way. Owned by Unilever, which it sits at the right hand of the devil, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of uh, international multi- conglomerate uh, um, uh, enterprises. Well, Sorry. yeah, and I, I mean, I I don't get the whole thing because you've got these two old doofuses, right? That just no one cares about, right? I mean, look at yourself in the mirror, buddy. You make ice cream, okay? That's what you do. Now, most people enjoy ice cream. That's fine. But you're not exactly solving any of the world's problems. Yeah. So first of all, I don't understand why these two yokels still get to talk speak on behalf of the company, right? I mean, if I well, was- Well, they the clearly CEO, get to eat well, a lot of the ice cream and they get they get paid apparently in lard. But uh, yeah, so the, the whole, the whole, the whole uh, story is that earlier this week, um, the uh, folks over at uh, Ben and Jerry said they will stop selling their ice cream in, I think it was Jerusalem and in the West Bank um, because it's, uh, because of the Palestinian oppression and, and whatever. Um, but first of all, their ice cream sucks. I mean, if you if you want to get a good pint of ice cream, get yourself some Hagen Dazs. Okay. Yeah, I completely run by the damn Dutch. Yeah. Okay, to the Dutch who know how to make a pint of ice cream, and and, and instead of these freaks from Vermont. And second of all, these businesses that try to uh, inject themselves into local controversies can just go straight to hell, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, not only that, but it's not even a local controversy. I mean, it'd be, I guess it'd be one thing if there was some sort of civic debate right outside the doors of Ben and Jerry's headquarters in Vermont. Fine. I mean, you want to be that asshole, go ahead. But I mean, what degree of arrogance do you have to have to say, well, 
you know, despite all the best efforts of diplomats and statesmen for literally thousands of years, you're going to, you know, now stick your little nose in and not sell your shitty ice cream in Israel. No one cares about you. No one cares about your ice cream. And frankly, shove it. You they should what? be barred. Just shove it. They should be barred and banned. You know what? Too bad this they is the local be sent to the West Bank. That's How about we send them sent. to the planet of Venus? See who wants their ice cream there. I, let's do it. I mean, I, I'm, I am. Well, we found out last week, actually, that there's at least a Venera 14. I'm sure there's plenty of room for both Ben and Jerry and their shitty ice cream on that spacecraft. Well, let's get right to it. Venera 14, um, as you said last week, 13. And as you remember, and those of you who are keeping score at home, um, Venera 13 and 14 were identical, right? They're identical spacecraft and they were built to take advantage of the 1981 Venus launch opportunity, Brad, as you, you and I discussed at length. I mean, I remember a, a youngster in, and on my wall, I had the, uh, the map of the uh, of the solar system, and uh, I was cutting down the days to the uh, 1981 uh, uh, Venus launch opportunity. Yeah, I mean, what kid did not have that bracketed? You know, I mean, you, you typically you've got the NBA playoffs, you got the NHL playoffs, you've got the World Series, you've got those all on your calendar. You yeah. know, you can tune your radio in, and then of course you've got the Venus launch opportunity window. And certainly every kid I knew in 81, I mean, that was what trumped everything else, right? Like if you were going to put like your mom's birthday on the calendar, but it fell in the Venus launch opportunity, well, that just went by the wayside, right? I mean, you, you need to know when that is. Yeah, no, exactly right. And, and so, as you know, they launched five days apart. Um, Venera 13, we talked about a late October launch. Of course, that means that the next Venera, Venera 14, would launch on 4 November 1981, um, so very, uh, very exciting. And, uh, look, it was identical to 13. A lot of the things, mm-hmm. um, it looked the same. It didn't have the same, um, noise recording functionality that 13 did, unfortunately. Yeah, um, but it did have, uh, it did have a really, really cool cockpit with some comfortable couches and some bunk beds. Oh, that's nice. The bunk bed is a great idea. I mean, when you yeah. think about it, a, a bed is going to take up however much square footage it takes. But then above the bed, you typically have, you know, five, six feet of just nothing going on. And you slap another bed up there, it doesn't cost you any additional square feet. It's much better use of the space. And that's the kind of, you know, sort of astronautical engineering acumen you're looking for out of a, a place like the Soviet Union. Yeah, exactly. You can almost picture Ben and Jerry laying on those bunk beds with a spife eating their um, chunky monkey. Yeah, the shitty their, ice cream on their way to on their way to Venus. Yeah, good riddance. Yeah, so exciting. So, um, so uh, as, as with all these missions, uh, there um, was uh, a landing craft. They called it a lander. Lander is the technical term, mm-hmm. and um, it uh, jettisoned from the uh, the main craft towards the uh, planet Venus. And you notice there; these are not um, you know tens of thousands of miles off course. These are actually on course. They're learning something. Um, they're learning something from the prior um, missions. And 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 when it was jettisoned, um, the lander um, functioned for a full fifty seven minutes. Wow. 
Maybe you almost got an hour out of that thing. Yeah. 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 Again, the plan life design was 32 minutes um, in an environment with a temperature of 465 degrees Celsius. Yeah. That's hot, my friend. I don't care who you are. That, that is a, that's, that's what they call a warm day. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is warm. Unfortunately, it was eviscerated after 57 minutes and nothing remains of, uh, uh, of uh, Venera 14, except it, it was um, uh, one interesting fact is that it, uh, if you watch BBC's Space Odyssey, A Voyage to the Planets, which you and I both followed regularly, mm-hmm. um, uh, Venera 14 is um, visited um, by a Russian cosmonaut in that uh in that um documentary so that is discussed in that documentary so those of you want to learn more about venera 14 i encourage you to turn the channel not now not now of course that'd be crazy um but uh once this is done to the bbc and then uh or give them a ring and uh, talk to them over there about when space odyssey voyage to the planets will air and uh you too can uh see some of these uh, great uh, visuals that uh were created by the um, 57 minutes of Venera 14's lander heading towards the planet. So the cosmonaut in this show, and I, I remember the show, not sure I remember this exact scene, the cosmonaut visits Venera 14. So does he do that in the great beyond? Because like Venera 14's in heaven, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, I mean, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously making some assumptions there. I'm assuming that Venera 14 had... Uh, you know, lived a life, a meritorious life for the 57 minutes it existed, but you can't really visit Venera 14, right? Cause it's, you know, it's a pile of molten slag. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be tough to, it'd be tough to, I think he was visiting it more in terms of visiting the, um, the mission and talking about ah. the mission and what happened. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, very exciting times in the Soviet union, in the early eighties. Indeed. Indeed. Well, well there I hope goes. there's another one. That's uh, that's my hope. I'm, I'm, yeah, well, I, mean, I, I, I myself am not done with Venera, so I hope there's at least a 15. I mean, how are we ever going to be done with Venera? It's going to be our um, it's going to be our cross to bear. I mean, look, this is something that you and I stumbled upon, and I, I don't even know if we knew there was a planet Venus before we started this whole thing. When did we start this thing? Was it this year, or last year, or the year before? Uh, it was at least last year. There's been a lot of Veneras. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, it demonstrates the stick to of the Soviet space program. I mean, no matter how many of these things they either miss the planet with or they just slam into the planet or, or the lens caps don't come off or whatever, you, you, these guys cannot be deterred. They are bound and determined to put as many pockmarks on the face of that planet as they possibly can. Yeah. And I applaud that. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't, um, look they uh they've put it all together uh they've uh gone to the well time and time and time again and i for one my friend are hoping um that there will be a venera 15 that we can talk about next week yeah me too uh next brad the rip report we've already talked about the late great dusty hill um from zz top but uh we, we we would be amiss if we didn't mention the late great uh, comedian Jackie Mason. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, Jackie That's Mason. He was, he was ninety. Yeah, he had a good hot run for sure. Yeah, he had a good run for sure. And I don't know if you remember his most iconic role, but of course that was Caddyshack Dos. <laughs> Let me tell you what, buddy. As good as Caddyshack. 
the original Caddyshack was, and it was brilliant. Right? Yeah. I mean, that that there are a lot of laughs in that. It's genius writing. Caddyshack Two was a crap movie. Just you didn't like crap. it, really? I did not. No, I did not. I mean, I might have liked it if it was its own standalone thing. But I mean, the bar that was set by Caddyshack, and then you think to yourself, "Oh man, a sequel! This is you know, it's going to be fantastic," and uh, just not so. Just not so. Well, they had they had, so they had Chevy Chase, right? Well, they yeah, I, I mean, he, yeah, he tipped. Yeah, I think he walked across the field of view of the camera at one point. Yes, Robert Stack played the Ted Knight role. Yes, correct. Yeah, the great Robert Stack. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd played the Bill Murray role. Indeed, but he yep. talked like this for some reason that I couldn't understand. Yeah, at all. And that's about it. That's about all I remember from the. Uh, what am I missing? I don't want to. I don't want to miss it. It was not very good. Oh no 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 no! I no, do no, no. Wait, what's his name? Uh, the Randy Quaid, the crazy yeah. Randy Quaid. Randy, uh, Randy Quaid has the best line in that movie, because if I'm recalling the plot correctly, there was some move by someone to take over. Um, Bushwood the, the golf Bushwood the golf club, and at some point in time they cut the power right, and so Randy Quaid calls the power company, and says. You know, the power's off. Do you know why the power's off? Oh, you can't say. Well, do you know when the power is going to be on? Oh, you can't say. And then he says, well, can you say this? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's a man in here with a flamethrower, which is a line that only Randy Quaid can properly deliver. And that yeah, was the, that, I think that was the only time I laughed in that whole movie. Yeah, that was oh, there was a part where they turned it into a mini golf course, and then he started playing defense and knocking people over. That that was funny too. Yeah, I, I actually don't even remember that, but I, I'm sure that uh, that was a highlight. Yeah, so, Jackie Mason, not funny. Jackie Mason, rest in peace. Rest in peace. You'll be missed, but not the comedy. You know, we don't need Caddyshack three, so I guess maybe no. it's yeah again. But uh, R.I.P. and and uh, the same to Dusty Hill. Um, and then finally, Brad, we've got Bard or Band, where we uh, go full circle, right? Um, and uh, in this case, uh, Bard or Band, uh, robots as inventors. So this week, the um, country of South Africa has allowed, um, for the first time ever, uh, a patent that uh, names an artificial intelligence uh, or, or you know, AI being as the inventor as opposed to a human being. And then this is some invention that relates to like uh, food containers that can be moved by robots. So probably apropos that a robot invented it. Um, but uh, I guess the question is, do you need to be a human to invent something? And if you don't, then does this open up the world for other um, uh, beings, other forms of intelligence, other databases, or, um, uh, or, or maybe even the... Uh, the blockchain, uh, or, or maybe even IPedia itself, Brad, which we are brought to you by, uh, serving all of your patent analytics and modernization needs since 2017, IPedia, the automation of innovation. Uh, th does it mean that IPedia could be up for a, uh, a patent? Well, it certainly means it could, right? I mean, it does open the door. I, and the part about this that I, that I don't get is, and, and you, know, you and I, we, we deal with these issues all the time, it's the who cares factor right like again let's let's remember the sort of idea of the patent system here is that you invent something that is useful and, and people want right because there's certainly patents on things that you know people just don't care about but the idea is that you're going to 
patent something that people will care about and the benefit that will accrue to you is that people who want to use that thing or perhaps manufacture that thing are going to pay you some form of license fee as a as a payment for your inventiveness and then you know the 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 people get to benefit from that right and you get the benefit of having a limited period of time during which uh, you have sort of exclusive rights to that thing right so if that's the point then you're you do that to accrue some benefit i i imagine the robot who invented the thing that can be moved by other robots is is not really seeing any benefit from this patent right and and I imagine that if anyone is seeing any benefit from it, it is the person who is managing the AI at the time, right? Because an AI is a tool, right? It's like, it's a computer. It's a particular, you know, usage of a computer that is supposed to mimic intelligence, right? That, that theoretically most of us have, and that's all great, but it is at the end of the day, at this point, at least a tool like a laptop or a signal analyzer, or maybe a table saw. Right. Yeah. And so you maybe a use those things, maybe a handgun, maybe a, you know, pistol of some sort or skates, pair of skates, pair of skates, anything that you could use a wrench, a fife, right? a, a fife, a crowbar, for instance. Mm-hmm. And if you use any of those in the course of inventing something, you don't have to name the crowbar as the inventor. Right? Maybe a cardboard so box. To me, a cardboard box could be. I mean, you can patent a cardboard box, but making the cardboard box the inventor. See, that's where you lose me. And and I, I you know, I get the professor that did this. He's, I, I'm sure, like most professors, he's very wrapped up in his little niche of the world. He thinks this is great. It's an AI. But what's the point of naming the AI the inventor? I mean, if at some point in time we get to the point where we have come up with the ability to turn technology into something that has feelings and can enjoy rights, human, civil, robotic, whatever the case may be. Otherwise. Then maybe it makes sense to give that technology this right as well, the right to a patent. Yeah. But I, at it's this David, point, I don't, By the way, its name is Dabus, Dabus, Davis. Dabus? the name of the D-A-B-U-S, one name, like Prince. Like don't miss Dabus. Don't miss Dabas. Yeah, it's Dabas. So this is the inventor. It's Dabas. I mean, maybe it's to get around like some of the inventor problems people have, right? So if you have an issue with a squirrely inventor or something that's just not all there, you roll out Dabas. You roll out Dabas, give it, him, it. What's your pronouns? Well, I'd say I'm I'm at a loss. My name is Dabas. My pronouns are it. Well, there you go. Okay, so you give it. I have invented an interlocking food container. Network. Well, and you know, when I look I at this- I cannot be cross-examined <laughs> because I am a piece of artificial intelligence greater than you. Danger, danger, will danger. See, the robot that you had on Lost in Space, I could see giving a patent to, right? I mean, it I'm had sure. a little clampy hands. You put the patent in the little clampy hand. It enjoys it. I just, I, I, I don't get the bus. And apparently the way that the bus came up with the invention was they fed it a bunch of, you know, what we like to call in our business prior art. And then it said, oh, well, I'm going to invent this. So I, it's almost sort of inherently obvious, I would guess. But you know what? Good for South Africa. Good for the bus. Good for the guy who made the bus. Didn't miss the bus. And, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, kind of silly. It's just kind of well, you know what? You and I, you and I, my friend, you and I, my friend have not missed the bus 
on this episode. It seems like we have uh, hit all the notes high and low. We've come up with a new way to consume steak and other, uh, and other items. And we've also honored the memory of the late, great Dusty Hill. And Jackie Mason. Let's not forget Jackie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Take my wife, please. But that's Bill Ford. <laughs> yeah, it's Bill Ford, who is, uh, I think, covering Jackie Gleason. Uh, but yes, maybe something that, uh, or who knows? Maybe Jackie Gleason said at one point too, in time. Yeah, could be Hedy Youngman. Yeah. 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 Well, buddy, like I say, another great episode. We've covered everything from artificial intelligence to the lack of intelligence we find in our government to, you know, the intelligence you find in uh, a Jackie Mason stand-up comedy. We've covered it all. And we hope that that has enticed our, our ever-growing audience to be back again next week for another episode of IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome. <laughs>